0: Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about a research report that I have just published in respect to the performance of investment grade apartments over probably the last sort of eight to 10 years. Um, And the focus of the analysis has been really the Melbourne market, Um, but it certainly uh, is, uh, you know, the the factors that I've identified in the analysis um, certainly apply uh, to the Brisbane market and to obviously a much lesser extent, the the Sydney market. Um, But really the observation uh, that I have made over the last eight to 10 years is that apartments have generated uh, very little capital growth, whereas houses, uh, particularly again in Melbourne, have generated between, say, 5 to 8% per annum of growth over that same period. And so what I wanted to do is uh, sit down and work out, okay, what are the factors that are contributing towards this performance? Uh, and do we expect that to persist? Will uh, apartments continue to underperform Uh, houses uh, and if we then have an investment grade apartment what should we do depending on that outcome Uh, and so this uh, podcast summarizes my findings or at least the key findings Um, but what I would do particularly if you have an investment grade apartment I'd encourage you to go to our website and download that report if you just go to the blogs page uh, I've posted a blog about it this week and uh, at the bottom of the blog is a, is a download button that you can download the report. You don't have to give me any details or any of that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, you don't have to subscribe to anything. Uh, it's available to anyone and everyone. Uh, and, of course, if you uh, enjoy the information uh, contained in the report and you know uh, of other people that might enjoy reading that information as well, uh, certainly feel free to, to share it amongst your uh, colleagues, friends and family members. So the first point or first observation, uh, and I'm going to refer to a few charts here which is obviously difficult to do uh, in a podcast scenario, Um, but uh, again uh, it might be worth while sitting down and just having a quick look at some of those key charts uh, in the report. Um, uh, But what I did is I sat down and looked at the uh, distribution of capital growth in Melbourne, Brisbane and Sydney um, since 1980. And just like I did uh, last year uh, with houses, uh, what I wanted to do is, is see how, what, firstly, what has the growth been over that period of time and how does growth occur? And like in most markets, it, most markets move in cycles. Uh, and also there's a strong trend of mean reversion, which means that in the long run, returns revert to the long-term mean or long-term average, if you like. Um, And that means that if you go through a period of very high growth, uh, typically that period is then followed by a a low growth period to really let the market kind of catch up, if you like, and, and vice versa. If you go through a low growth period or no growth period, typically they're followed by periods of above average growth. Now, apartment returns and capital growth returns have ranged between uh, 6 and 7.5% and compounding capital growth over the last 40 years. But the key thing to identify, and obviously Brisbane's the underperformer there, um, Sydney's close to 7%. Uh, Melbourne's close to 7.5% in terms of capital growth rate. Now, that's just the median, right? So that's the whole, that's the midpoint of all the apartments over that period of time. Um, and certainly you, uh, it would be reasonable and a reasonable expectation that if you're investing in a high-quality apartment, that your capital growth is going to be in excess of that, maybe even a percent in excess of that. So we know, therefore, at least the, the um, historic results show us that over the long run apartments do generate good levels of capital growth Um, but except for maybe the the only exception really is Brisbane between uh, 1980 and the 2000s so that first 20 years uh, that seemed to be pretty steady growth at around 7% but apart from that over the last 40 years both in uh, Melbourne, Brisbane and Sydney growth has typically occurred in periods of Around about seven to nine years, uh, so we'll get a seven to nine year period of t- typically double digit growth, so so north of ten percent, uh, and then typically uh, w- that will be followed by a period, again of around seven to nine years of no growth, uh, and so and that that would be um, in line with my observations in the property market as well. So we know then that if we bought an apartment uh, in Melbourne 8 to 10 years ago, we haven't received any growth, that in itself isn't necessarily uh, – shouldn't be ringing any alarm bells. Certainly, if we had a crystal ball, we would have chosen to delay the purchase, of course. Um, you don't want to purchase just at the beginning of a, a low-growth period. But we also know that property is a long-term asset – uh, and uh, patient investors are typically rewarded, but obviously if you've got a good quality investment grade asset, in the long run you will be rewarded. No one will know when the, the distribution of returns will occur, but we do know over a very long period of time, periods of time, the reward is certainly there. Now obviously if um, property values have been appreciating at, uh, as I said, so 6 to 8% over the same period of time, uh, then uh, there's two components to, that, that are going to drive property values. The first one is capital improvement. So people spending a lot of money renovating, adding a third bedroom, doing things that really change the value of that asset. Uh, and then also the, the second component is the underlying land value. And you would have to say that in the main, uh, you know, certainly while there is some renovations and some capital improvements occurring, and there always sort of will be, uh, and that that does contribute uh, to somewhat to growth. Uh, most of the growth is occurring because the underlying land value is changing, and so if the underlying land value is changing, then uh, by definition, apartment values also have to change. Uh, maybe to a lesser extent, you know, if the land value is closer to 50%, whereas a house land land value is closer to 80% of the overall value, of course. A house has more land and will appreciate faster, but there shouldn't be that major disparity between growth rates of apartments and houses, particularly if we see, okay, there's demonstrable evidence that underlying land values have changed. Um, And so that means uh, if we believe that, and I do, uh, then it demonstrates that apartments are intrinsically undervalued. And so I did an analysis, and again, I've got another chart. I did analysis assuming that you bought an apartment in Melbourne seven years ago for 600000 and today that apartment's worth $650,000. So $50,000 of capital growth over a seven-year period, no one's going to be um, at all uh, happy with that sort of performance, and nor should you be. I mean, you don't invest in an asset uh, hoping that that's going to be the outcome, and uh, And then what I did is calculated. okay, if that's intrinsically undervalued, what needs to happen uh, for that property to generate decent returns over a 20-year holding period? So another another period of 10 years in addition to another period of uh, 13 years, I should say, in addition to the seven years that I've held it. Uh, And essentially we need a capital growth rate of 9.2% to really make up for the period of underperformance that we've currently had. Uh, And so um, uh, that's not unrealistic. We've had periods, particularly in Melbourne, uh, between 97 and 2010, uh, the median growth rate was 10.7%. Between uh, 1980 and 1990, okay, going back a fair while now, but 13.2%. So we've certainly had periods of time where we've got growth uh, above 10%. And we know we need about sort of 9% over the next 10 years to make up for that lost time. So the, the first two points then is uh, growth is never going to be evenly distributed. You know, there's going to be periods of high growth and periods of low growth. And we also know what we need out of uh, an investment um, is possible based on historic returns. Now, that w- now we've uh, established that, um, uh, which is really fundamentally... Um, There's nothing necessarily wrong and we can certainly uh, achieve the returns that we want, even though we've got very little returns over more recent periods. Um, Then it's important to look at what has contributed to this underperformance. And I've got a couple of charts, uh, again, in the report, uh, one that looks at quarterly residential apartment commencements. And commitments are more important than approvals uh, because you might have a project approved, but it may, may not actually ever get built um, if they don't get the pre-sales or someone pulls out or you know, the project doesn't, doesn't uh, continue. And the other chart I've looked at is the proportion of listings. You know, and I picked uh, about five investment-grade uh, suburbs in, uh, in Melbourne and I picked the five that um, I just anecdotally know that apartments haven't really performed uh, well in. And I picked South Yarra, Richmond, Hawthorne, Armadale, and Paran. Uh And I had a look at, of all the listings uh, in any given uh, period of time, I think that the, the data is quarterly, uh, what, how many were houses, how many were apartments. Um, and uh, both those measures, uh, so uh, commencements and listings data, uh, both of them um, uh, drew a, a pretty compelling story or, or, or gave me a pretty compelling story that in around about uh, 2008, uh, 2009, uh, the supply of apartments increased significantly. And that peaked at around about two years ago, uh, that that uh, peak uh, started to come back a bit in terms of um, proportions. So for example, in 2011, around about 60% of properties listed in those suburbs that I just mentioned were apartments. By 2017, so six years later, 78%, a rise of 18%, or nearly a third increase. Uh, 78% were were apartments, and th- that has come back slightly now. It's about 75%. So we've certainly seen a massive influx of supply, uh, new housing apartment supply. Now, I guess the key thing is you can't change the number of houses in a suburb. I mean, you can if you do subdivision and so forth, but typically investment-grade suburbs don't lend themselves economically to subdivision, that, that, that just the, the land value is just too expensive. So the numbers tend not to work. Uh, so in those uh, well-established investment-grade locations, typically the number of houses uh, don't change. But you can change, obviously, a number of apartments. And typically, apartments are constructed on busier main roads um, uh, just because, again, they lend themselves to, you know, a, a council granting approval in that situation. Uh, and a lot of those have been developed over the last uh, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. Uh, and so that's where that massive amount of supply um, ha- has come through. Uh, The big thing that uh, was occurring over that time is sales to uh, foreign buyers. Uh, So typically the Chinese, uh, for example, but it could be from Hong Kong and so forth. Uh, And there was really not a lot of uh, rules or restrictions around uh, selling uh, apartments off the plan to uh, foreigners. Uh, and in fact, a lot of residential developers really targeted that market. They would have people, sales teams on the ground in China selling apartments off the plan. and they would have projects uh, that um, that would w- that were built specifically for that market. Uh, so the quality and standard of build was uh, typically not what we would you know, Australians, resident Australians would uh, uh, would desire or look for. Um, but they were really just pumping that into the market. And of course that drags down the, the value of existing stock because if you've got a whole lot of cheap stock uh, and uh, a buyer that is not necessarily discernible or looking at the, the core characteristics don't necessarily make that distinction between um, you know, a, a terribly constructed property, particularly if you're buying off the plan, you can't really make an assessment as to the quality of finish. Uh, and so a lot of money is attracted into that market. So in 2014-15 financial year, the Foreign Investment Review Board, which is the government board that approves uh, acquisitions by uh, uh, foreigners, uh, they approved over $60 billion of residential real estate in that financial year. Um, by 18-19, which is the most recent uh, sort of data, that's reduced to under $15 billion. So it's really a quarter of where it was uh, you know, five or so years ago, five or six years ago. So foreigners aren't really creating a lot of demand uh, for, for new property. And as a result, um, developers just aren't targeting that market nearly as much. Uh, and in fact, in 2019, last year, the, the government introduced a cap on foreign ownership in any particular developments to no more than 50%. So again, you, if you're going to build something as a residential developer, you now really have to spec it for, some, for, for local purchases. Uh, and uh, that's going to increase the cost of apartments, increase the cost of construction, because the finish needs to be higher, uh, of a higher standard. Uh, and so uh, that has two impacts. Uh, re- reduction in supply, a significant reduction in supply, I might add, uh, of new stock coming onto the market. The fact that a lot of, or at least most of the Um, Sites that are economical to develop have probably been developed over the last uh, uh, 10-ish years. Uh, And uh, also just the demand from foreigners has has reduced significantly as well. So all those things that played out over the last 8 to 10 years are no longer present in this market. Uh, To add to that, and something I've been banging on about for a long time, uh, really since 2009, uh, credit started to be tightened. So lending to... Uh, investors, in particular, uh, started to really tighten up, and I know that the government has recently announced that they will start relaxing some of those laws uh, in uh, from one March uh, next year. Um, but certainly, uh, that's uh, been a, a, a kind of hallmark or a, a common thread uh, throughout, particularly the last five years, and as, t- as credit tightening, people's um, capacity. Uh, to be able to pay more for a property or, is also uh, reduced significantly. And so you're not going to see that money flow into the market. That also then um, uh, creates problems uh, or impairs capital growth rates. Uh, now, if credit's going to be loosened up a little bit and there's a little bit more sort of common sense coming back into that market, uh, that is naturally going to stimulate the capital growth rates in that in that sector, which is uh, good news. So there's another thing that... Um, occurred over the last 10 years that probably won't repeat itself or in fact uh, sort of loosen up a little bit. There are a couple of other um, factors that I've discussed in the report and I don't really want to uh, make this podcast any longer than it needs to be. But again, if you're really interested in that sort of analysis and the the charts and the data around it. Then I certainly suggest, as I said, go to the uh, our website and download a copy of the the report. The final point I would like to finish on is that comparing apartments and houses uh, probably isn't a, a very fair comparison. Um, particularly, you know, if we think back sort of seven to ten years ago, an entry level apartment was probably half the value or less than an entry level house. And so if you were contemplating investing in property seven years ago, uh, it's p- quite possible that if your budget didn't extend to a house, then the analysis is somewhat moot. I mean, you, c- you couldn't have afforded to buy a house in any case I think most of us would agree the house probably makes a better investment only because it tends to have a higher land value proportion. Now, of course, houses tend to have a lower rental yield as well, so you're getting less income, and you hope that that uh, haircut on the income side, you more than make up for on the capital growth side. So horses for courses, and that's one other thing too. It's good to look at the growth rate, uh, but the rental yields tend to be higher for apartments, and that... Obviously, your overall return is made up of both capital and income. Uh, Probably a fairer comparison uh, with apartments would be houses located in sort of secondary locations. um, So really 15 plus Ks from the CBD, uh, not in those blue chip investment grade suburbs. Uh, I think probably if you're going to compare properties in the same or similar price point that's what you're really comparing against and in the show notes and in the blog I've got a link to uh, just one report for instance that was more that was a a very deep study uh, that highlighted that as you move further away from the CBD your growth rate tends to uh, peter off quite significantly so and it makes sense it's common sense right uh, particularly in Australia where we've got all the population centred in a capital city, uh, the capital city, closer to the capital city, the better the employment opportunities, the better the education facilities, the better the amenities, the pastime amenities, all these sorts of things. And so naturally uh, the suburbs located in that sort of inner city ring um, uh, tend to be the most desirable. And if they're the most desirable, highest demand, a finite supply, of course they're going to generate over the long run uh, better capital growth, and it's always going to be that case. Unless there was a absolutely ridiculous amount of uh, infrastructure spent, which is never going to happen, I don't think, uh, the, the outer areas are never going to be, comp- be able to compete with the inner areas. So the house versus apartment sort of debate or comparison, we have to put it in context. Um, it's good to make a theoretical comparison. I think we should always look at the performance of asset classes, And as I said uh, a few weeks ago, hold strong opinions loosely. You know, don't be attached to the fact that we bought this apartment and it's definitely going to work. Always uh, start with an open mind that, hey, you could have made a mistake. It it could be an asset class that may not ever work again. Um, I think we need to leave room for that possibility. Um, But if we're looking at and doing that comparison, uh, I think, you know, we've got to look at the practicalities of uh, how much it would have costed to invest in a house seven years ago uh, versus what your capacity was at that stage and whether that was a realistic uh, realistic option. Uh, the conclusion of the report is that there had been there has been a number of factors that have contributed to changing the supply of apartments and changing the demand for apartments uh, that probably won't repeat themselves over the next ten years, and that because all markets move in cycles, arguably uh, apartments are intrinsically undervalued at the moment. And we know that there's a strong trend of always a strong trend of mean reversion in markets. And so it's very likely then that over the next 10 years uh, the growth rate in apartments will certainly be better than the last 10 years. Uh, so if you're holding on to an investment grade asset, uh, I would counsel you to be patient, hang on to that asset, uh, improve value and management uh, where possible, which I also address in the report. Um, but have that patience and your patience in the long run should be well and truly rewarded. As I said at the beginning of the podcast, please uh, feel free to visit our website, download a full copy of that report um, and uh, spend a bit of, bit of time digesting that information. And if you know anyone else that is uh, would be interested in reading the report, feel free to uh, share it with them as well. Uh, okay, so that's it for me this week and until next week, bye for now.